magic is power. I am your legacy newbie. With me this week, as always, Mr. Jerry. Me. What's up, Jerry? Not much, Pat. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Uh, we have an awesome guest on this week. I'm super excited to talk to him. Uh, but before we get to him, I do want to mention hipstersofthecoast.com. You know, I want to just shout them out. They bring you leaving a legacy every Friday to your ears. You can find a ton of legacy content, EDH content, limited. I mean, everything's on there. Um, check it out hipstersofthecoast.com and also if you want to support the show you can visit patreon.com slash leaving a legacy you can support the show for as little as a dollar an episode um, which helps us out a ton helps us bring you more content we do more streaming uh, helps us improve the audio of the cast uh, we also do the, uh, the awesome rewards stickers and shout outs and play mats uh, and maybe even some other stuff I have some stuff I kind of want to throw back and forth with Jerry and see if we can get some, some new swag out there as well. So check it out. The link is in these show notes. Uh, so this week, our guest is uh, Sam Tang from Kitchen Table Magic and the Play MTG YouTube channel. Uh, Jerry and I had the awesome opportunity to meet Sam while we were at Hascon. And uh, I don't know, I feel like we hit it off really well. Sam, Sam, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Oh, it's awesome to have you. So so first, uh, you know, people who may not know you, um, can you just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, sort of where you're from? how you got started playing Magic, and maybe some of your favorite formats or decks? Absolutely. So my name is Sam Tang, and I am the host of Kitchen Table Magic, and I am starting a brand new YouTube channel called Play MTG, which is all about getting people to play Magic. And uh, I'm from Seattle, Washington, so I'm kind of like in like Watsy headquarters uh, in their backyard. Um, my office is really close to them, so I drive by them all the time when I pl- uh, you know, like go somewhere for lunch or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I started playing Magic uh, many, many years ago, um, not as early as like some of the 20 year old or 25 year old magic players but like um i played magic for maybe about like almost 20 years like 16 17 years i played uh back in urza's block and uh it was pretty sweet because like back in the day magic was so different than what magic is today mm-hmm. um and you know funny story you're gonna love this guys because uh when i first found magic a family friend they just handed me a big like paper bag full of cards like unsorted <laughs> just like here you go and it, <laughs> it was awesome because i was like a little kid and it was like we were like over getting like dinner at like a family friend's house and like the son was like about to be shipped away to college and the dad was like you know he was like chinese he was like super stern he's like my son is going to college he won't need these anymore give them to your child <laughs> <laughs> and my mom was like, whatever, free toys, and just, like, handed it to me. And I just was like, sweet, what are these? And they were, like, trading cards. I had no idea what was going on. Like, uh, I just – and I just kept them in my room, like, in my toy chest for, like, years. Like, I didn't learn how to play. I had no idea what they were. I knew they were pet magic cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just, like – Every, like, once a month, I'd bust through them, I'd sort them, I'd read the text, I'd look at the card art, I'd just be fascinated with them. But then it would just be, like, my set of comics. I would, like, read them and then, like, sort them and then put them away until, like, one day I was um, in band and there was, like, a free period and a bunch of the kids were just, like, hanging out and they were playing Magic. And I was just like, whoa, what is this? And they were like, 
it's magic. I was like, I have a whole bunch of these in my house. And they were like, oh, my God, you have to bring them. We have to teach you how to play. And, like, instantly I picked up, like, 20 new friends. Like, it was yeah. insane. Yeah. So I brought my paper bag worth of crawl worms <laughs> and random crap. And they were just like – I thought the story was going to be like, so I brought in my paper bag of Black Lotus and Beta Dual Lands. <laughs> nope, they were just regeneration auras. Ah. <laughs> a bunch of tap elves and, and random crap like that. and uh, It was really bad. I mean, it was really, really bad. Uh, they taught me how to play, um, and I was just, like, addicted. It was great. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I built, like, really terrible mono green decks and mono black thrall decks and just got my ass handed to me um and then eventually i like learned how to play and like bought cards and and that was like around urza saga and it was just like an amazing time to play magic yeah i love that so i've i have two stories connected to that um first and you might remember the sam and probably jerry does too if you started playing early enough you used to be able to buy what were called like starter decks and it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like an actual pre-constructed deck it was just a 60 card like, it was basically, like, three boosters jammed together with a bunch of basic lands. And it, but it yep. came in, like, a little cardboard box, right? And so I have still a shoebox full of these cardboard boxes because that's what I would keep my deck in because when I started playing, there wasn't such a thing as a deck box. In fact, like, my first ever quote-unquote deck box was, like, was from, like, sleeves that I bought that came with this really chintzy paper box. It was really just meant to sell you the sleeves in, and that was like my first quote-unquote yep. deck box. But like, yeah, until then I was rubber banding it or putting them in a Ziploc bag to go to, to yep. go play with my friend, you know? It's like, it was never, yep. uh, it, you know, the, the, the amount of protection that we had was, it was just wasn't there. Like, a paper bag was a totally respectable way to carry around your deck back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Like, my first deck box was a plastic bag. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> No, I totally know what you mean. Remember, like, back in the day, those Ultra Pro sleeves had, like, that crazy jester clown on, like, the thing? That's what I had. That's exactly what I had. And I had, like, a couple of those, and um, I would, like, tape it up. Like, I would get, like, plastic clear uh, packing tape, and I would reinforce that (laughs) box because that's all I had, and that was my deck box. Yeah, there was nothing. I mean, at least I wasn't aware of there being anything else out there, and especially, like, at that age when I was barely had any money to my name, like I'm not gonna spend my money on buying a deck box. I'm just gonna buy more boosters or more. Actually, I'm gonna buy more starter packs. You know, so uh, yeah, I can totally, I can totally fit <laughs> with that. And that man, I just have so much nostalgia for that. And the other thing I wanted to mention was I remember uh, Urza's Destiny was the first set I remember being able to go online and find the complete list of all the cards in the in the set which i had never been able to do before and i thought that was like yeah i remember that being just like i remember printing off all the like like 20 pages that had like the card text into all these cards and then what i was doing like in my mind the, the fun part of magic at that age was like i wanted to collect one of every card so i was doing the 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 dumbest way you could possibly do that which was just like buying as many booster packs as I could. <laughs> you and, mean the way Wizards exactly wanted you to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely, uh, they definitely got me there when I was a kid, but I remember just buying, like, booster packs and booster packs, and my buddy and I would split a box, and, uh, we, you know, just, like, going down the checklist and checking off the cards I had got, and I had them all in, like, in, like, these, you know, the, the, the folios, like, the nine-card folios or whatever, and I have a lot of fond memories of that time, so I don't know, I don't mean to go down memory lane too much, but that just really triggered, like, some memories uh, of my early Magic playing days in <laughs> the paperback well, no, story. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you needed to buy the old fat packs, because before they came in the box, they came in these, like, 
rectangular triangle type, almost kind of like the way commander uh, decks are packaged mm-hmm. now. And it had like uh, a bunch of booster packs. It had the book, and then it also had a like little paper uh, booklet that was just literally the entire set spoiler. Oh, really? So you could just like cross them off as you go. Oh, that's super cool. <laughs> that's awesome. I do have a bunch <laughs> of those little rule books too. I have a bunch from like fifth edition. Or maybe it was yeah, it must have been fifth edition. I have a bunch from Ice Age and Tempest, and I miss I miss those days. Unfortunately, a lot of that stuff has gotten trimmed away as they try to keep the price of booster packs the same in an economy where the cost of everything is going up. So a lot of those extraneous things are getting cut away. But I do have a, quite a fondness for those those old pieces of uh, magic magic history. That's uh, so cool. <laughs> so awesome. So um, so tell me, like, what do you play now? Do you get a chance to play a lot of Paper Magic, or are you just jamming Moto? What do you do? I love Paper Magic. I love Paper Magic much more than Moto. Um, I like the sitting in front of a person and like kind of like interacting with them. I play a lot of modern. Um, I don't play a lot of standard. It just rotates a little too fast for me. I play just a little bit of Legacy. I just haven't played a lot of it. Um, I play like Burn and like Grixis Delver, and uh, but just play a lot of modern and I play a lot of Jund. And sadly, Jund is not really a tier one deck anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I started off playing like. Um, Jeskai back before cons block, so we didn't have a name for it, so we called it like American Control because it was oh, yeah. like red, white, and blue. <laughs> so I called it Air Force One because it was like Thundermaw, Hellkites, Restoration Angels, and Geist uh, State Trap. Oh, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, American Flyers, so it was like Jeskai Control, and then because um, I just loved Geist of St. Traff back in the day, and Snapcaster Mage, and Bolt Snap Bolt, and then I like always lost to Jund, because Jund was like the hotness, so then mm-hmm. I was like, I'm building Jund, and I traded off like my entire collection of bulk rares and random crap for uh for Jund. I got like I like literally hauled off my entire collection and like came back with like a play set of Goifs, a play set of Bobs and Lilies. And like a few extra like snapcasters and was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm gonna get to play Jun now. It was insane. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh and then Deathrite was banned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I like got I like was getting ready and then it gets banned like a week later. I was just like uh, but I will still play Jun. I'm loyal. Nice. You should you you should play Legacy because apparently everyone says every deck is Jund in Legacy now. I don't really oh, see it. Sure. That's <laughs> the word on the street. I was gonna mention that like the the big talk uh, around is is Deathrite Shaman a card that should be banned out of Legacy, which, which we're not gonna get into this podcast because I don't think I don't think it'd be a great conversation because I think Jerry and I would just argue about it, which is which, uh, hold which, on. Uh, we have a we have a chat, and earlier this weekend, Pat was like, eh, "Maybe Deathrite should be banned." Well, no, I said, I, but when I, I, I said that, I was like, only to stop, only if it like gets this chat to stop, because I was getting constant <laughs> notifications about him. Like, sure, just ban the card. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't really see it. No, nah, I'm not even gonna get into yeah, it. Let's, Forget let's, it. This, we'll say this that is literally the only. This is literally the only thing every legacy podcast has been talking about yeah. because I've just been listening to all of them. They're like, "All right, I say I think we should just get everyone together and we just have a big fist fight. That's how <laughs> we're gonna side it." <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like that. I actually like that quite a bit. Um, all right, so so before we get into because I really want to talk about kitchen table magic, Sam. I really want to talk about play MTG, but there's just one thing I we wanted to just kind of get out of the way first um, was the rules change uh, for Ixalan. Jerry, did you want to just kind of discuss what this means, of, at least for us playing Legacy and at the competitive level? 
It means you got to remind people what your cards do. Mm-hmm. That's that's a gross oversimplification of it, and I think that's probably the gut reaction a lot of people took away from this announcement. Mm-hmm. Is that um, the complaints I've heard are people saying, "Oh, this is the easification oh of gosh. of of uh, magic in general, hand holding." Um, but basically. What it is is when you cast a spell like Path to Exile, uh, which has an optional uh, part of it that says, you know, when you cast Path to Exile, your opponent can search, can, keyword being can, uh, search their library for a basic land. Now uh, it is your responsibility to uh, remind your opponent that, you know, this is, that they have the option to search their deck. Um, and I think people's gut reaction, like, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, so isn't, isn't the, the qualification now that you want to make sure that they're, you, so you want to make, get confirmation that they aren't doing the optional part of the spell? Is that essentially what you want to do? Like, you know, you don't have to say, you don't, you don't have to tell them you can search your land for a deck, but you should say something like, are you going to search your, search your deck for a land? Is that, is that what I'm getting here? Uh, I feel that's kind of getting into a bit of the minutiae of it, that it, that like, how it's going to play out is still probably going to be a heavy uh, topic of debate mm-hmm. and is probably going to involve lots and lots of judge calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, but kind of the core of the issue is it's your responsibility to clearly communicate what your cards do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the real key way to look at this, that, you know, it's not like with um, Chalice of the Void, where with Chalice of the Void, a big thing with it is that it's when if my opponent plays Chalice of the Void... Uh, and I play a spell that would be countered by Chalice of the Void, I don't have to tell my opponent that the Chalice of the Void is countering my spell, even if I recognize it. I have the ability to try and get it in under the Chalice. The reason why is because it's my opponent's card. Mm -hmm. That Never in Magic do you have to remind your opponent uh, that they can beat you. Mm -hmm. What you do have to remind your opponent is that they have the option... Uh, to take actions on spells that you cast. That's the key thing, is I'm casting Path of Exile. I have to uh, make sure my opponent is aware that they can search their library for a basic land. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm casting a spell into Chalice. I don't have to remind my opponent what their cards do. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so what, what are your feelings overall on this, Jerry? What do you, how do you feel about this rules change? I mean, I definitely had that knee-jerk reaction where it just at first seemed like it was... Um, you know, Wizards getting rid of, you know, a line of play that was a, you know, a legitimate strategy uh, mm-hmm. point. But after kind of like looking it over and thinking about it, I'm like, no, this isn't really that at all. This is basically just going back to cl- clear communication of cards. Mm-hmm. You want to be sure that people don't get scumbags because there are going to be, there are people out there who are just like, play my spell, like, barely even, like, we all know the player that'll, like, cast a spell and then attempt to resolve it before before their opponent even has a chance to, like, counter it or respond at all. Yeah, they go path your goif, move to attacks, swing with XXX, right? Like, they they just run right through the turn like that, and they never give you a chance to search, so um, I think the rules, I I had the same reaction, Jerry, where I was kind of like, I don't know if I like this change or not, and if it makes for clearer communication and clearer play and also less angle shooting, um, I think that's good for the game. So, Sam, did you have any feelings about this? Since you're, if you're playing modern, you're definitely playing at least with or against Path to Exile. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, whenever I like see rules changes like this, I always remind myself, just like you said earlier, like the may or must. Like that, that was like how I learned and like really tightened up my play. Because mm-hmm. like I always look at the card and like the first thing I ask myself is it a may or a must? If it's a must, then you got to do it. Otherwise, you're gonna get a you know 
game rule violation warning not keeping the board state kind of a thing mm-hmm. um you know but if it's a may thing then it really goes into like sportsmanship and so i've always been very much an advocate about clear communication um you know if someone is like pathing me uh, and then they're like path your thing like path attack with goif i'm just gonna like hold up my face like right in their hand like stiff arm them and just go hold on stack please right mm-hmm. and then we're just gonna go one thing at a time and like definitely from like a fair p- play perspective like all players regardless if you're the one doing the scumbagging or you're about to get scumbagged you've got to like at least know what your rights are in terms of the rules um as for this angle shooting of just like trying to play things under like chalice i just think that's hilarious <laughs> like if if, <laughs> if 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 someone is gonna like play if you're like if your opponent has like chalice on one and you're like trying to play something under chalice and then like you're not recognizing like you're, the owner of the chalice is like not recognizing that's being countered then like wow dude like pay attention right like you cast that challenge for a reason it's also funny to me because like if you're like online like moto isn't gonna let you do that <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like, i'm really annoyed about that like i really <laughs> wish you could do that because i've had things i've played against tesserator where my opponent has had two chalices on one and i'm just like end of turn brainstorm and my opponent just goes okay yeah that resolves I'm like all right <laughs> <laughs> I, I was playing against a uh, storm at te this is uh, a few months probably actually about a year ago at this point i'm sorry at, at gaming etc about a year ago i was playing eldrazi and i was playing against a storm player and i had like chalice for one and chalice for two on board and they're like oh like they it's like i'm like beating them down there at very very low life they go dark ritual and i go yeah that's fine and then i go damn it and then they, he just kind of like chuckles and he goes dark ritual i'm like uh no that second one is definitely countered <laughs> Then <laughs> uh, he just thinks you're you're like messing with him. <laughs> yeah, the first three dark rituals are countered, but that fourth one that that fourth one is countered. Yeah, you, yeah, you can't have that one. No, 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 no. Uh, but yeah, so I think. That, yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was absolutely just going to say, you know, definitely from, like, a player community standpoint, I think these rules are just, I mean, they kind of, like, make things a little bit more clear. Like, obviously, Mm -hmm. angle shooting is always, like, a part of the game, but, like, definitely you want to, like, don't want to be rules lawyering all the time, but, like, in terms of, like, sportsmanship, every player, regardless who you are, what, if you're on the receiving end of it, if you're the one dishing out the scumbaggery, or if you're a new player, I just tell everyone... Always know what the stack is. Always know what the rules are. Always take your time because, like, when you are being passed priority, take that priority. Don't just pass it back or just mm-hmm. say F to it away. Like, really take it. And also, never if you're playing Paper Magic, never just F six. Like, like people lose games to that. People forget about attacking things. People forget about triggers. People forget about certain effects. And like, mm-hmm. the minute people try to pass and like they draw and they move on to another phase, and even if you realize at that point and call judge. It's too late. Like, mm-hmm. it's happened to all of us. Like, I played in a Legacy Preservation Series at Mox Boarding House the other day, or, like, the other week, and, like, it happened to me, and I was like, oops, you know, like, yep. certain things weren't gonna, supposed to happen. And it was a path thing, and it was just like, man, it sucks. But, uh, but I like, I like this. I understand that the community, some people might grumble about it. Like, it's just, oh, gosh, now I gotta do this extra thing. But, I mean, I tweeted, I mean, I joked about it. I basically was like, so you're not gonna fetch. I was like, I basically just gonna ask people, I was like, okay, yeah, so you're, you're not gonna fetch, right? <laughs> and then if they say, yeah, no, I was like, okay, yeah, moving on. Like, you know, but I'm not gonna, like, intentionally not give my opponent the right to right. do something that clearly says something on a card, you know? Like, that's yeah. just not sportsmanlike. Yeah, I, I well, think. I've, I've... It comes down also a lot of people. Their main uh, opposition to this is the uh, RTFC, the read the frickin' card yep. uh, standpoint. That people think it's like, oh, it's just be- people being lazy. They're not reading the cards. Um, I don't really think that 
that's the case at all. Like a lot of these, like with Path to Exile, it's an instant that's in your hands. Like how often does your opponent give you the opportunity to just like read the card as you're casting it? Right. Like especially in Legacy, like I don't even think people do it for on purpose. I think they just take for granted that everyone knows the format pretty well and they just assume you know what the cards do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like it's, these options aren't always clearly presented to you. And also the fact, you know, getting into the whole, every, you know, lots of people use foreign cards, textless cards, uh, ca- old cards that have been eroded into oblivion. I really wish they had used a less obvious card than Path to Exile as the example. Like mm-hmm. if they had chosen some random bulk rare from seven sets ago, people would be a lot more positive on this change just because of the way it was framed. But because it was framed with Path to Exile, the super obvious card that everyone uh, knows and understands, everyone thinks, oh, this is just an obvious change that they're doing for the babies. Right. But at the same time, too, like, Magic is a game that the more new players we bring in, the better. So anything that makes the game more accessible and friendly to new players, I think, is also just good for the game. So this And this is a move that seems like, oh, this might be nice for a new player to Modern or a new player to Legacy or any format, for that matter. Just getting the chance to, like you said, Jared, like an instant is in your hand. You cast it and put it in your graveyard. You, know, you usually don't take the time to leave it on the battlefield unless you have like a, a crazy stack interaction in Legacy. But for the most part, you're just kind of bringing it out of your hand, pointing it to a card putting that card in the graveyard, so I think that this is going to be more friendly for new players, and I, any, like I said, anything that clarifies and promotes communication between players is, is good in my opinion. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we might even see like future card design changes, you know, like mm-hmm. if, if Wizards wants to make cards like Path of Exile, which gives your opponent some marginal benefit, then can they, instead of put it in a block of text and say may, why don't they just put it as like a new paragraph and mm-hmm. say must? Yeah, right? yeah, you can definitely have like cool uh, like templating changes with this, so that's that's absolutely something I can. I think it was Sean Calvo in the group actually pointed out that there is a new card in Ixalan that has this, and he thinks that's why they're actually making this change now. Oh, interesting, very cool. Um, I forget what card it was, but is it settled the wreckage? I think so. I think it, he said it was like it has a ghost quarter like effect. I don't actually know what the card does though. Hmm. Um. Because Settle the Wreckage is like Wrath to Exile, right? Like, all attacking creatures get exiled, and then they pull out a basic for each, right? And that's pretty obvious if, like, your entire attacking team oh. is getting wrathed. But if it's, like, another, like, Ghost Quarter-type card, which is a little bit more subtle, then yeah. Yeah, yeah that might, this might be it. Yeah, two white white, for instance, exile all attacking creatures, target player controls, that player may search his or her library for that many basic land cards, put them on the battlefield, tap, and shuffle. That's a neat card, too, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially if, like, <laughs> as an opponent and you're, like, getting, like, you're attacking with your team and you get totally blown out by Settle the Wreckage, yeah. you're absolutely going to want to pull out, like, four <laughs> basics. Otherwise, you're getting scum back to hell. Yeah. Uh, oh, I just found it. He said Field of Ruin. Oh, yeah. What does that card do? Let's take a look. I got my Scryfall handy dandy here. I am here. also using Scryfall. I love that site. I'm Super going through fast. my I'm going through my bulk. That's not how you guys do it. <laughs> so you just field. like picked up a handful of cards and just started thumbing I'll, through. I'll find it eventually. So There's gotta be one here, right? Uh, <laughs> field of ruins an uncommon from Ixalan. Uh, it, it's a land tapped at a colorless band between mana pool or two and tap sacrifice field of ruin destroy target non basic land and opponent controls. Each player searches his or her library for a basic land card. Puts it onto the battlefield, then shovels into her library. That is actually a really interesting card as well. It's a very mm. bad. It's a very bad. I get one too. <laughs> yeah, well, it's cool because it replaces the land that you're that you're searching out. Oh, oh, that's interesting. 
and it, this, and it this, puts this it onto the battlefield, and it's untapped. Right. It right. puts it onto the battlefield, not puts it on the field tapped. This card's still bad, guys. Yeah, but it, it costs really? two mana. It yeah. costs two mana, but it really just costs one mana. Yeah. No, it, it costs two mana because you have to tap itself. So oh, sure, sure, sure. Okay, that's fair. It costs three mana. It costs two mana. Yeah. It's This isn't Ghost Quarter. This is that other card, the, like, pay Tectonic force. Edge? Yeah. This is, this is not a better Ghost Quarter. This is a better Tectonic Edge, mm. and Tectonic Edge is not a very good card. <laughs> yeah, it's still interesting. I think it's still interesting. Um, all right, cool. So I think that's probably put a nice little bow on that rules change. I don't want to go too deep into it, but I just kind of want to get everyone's uh, opinions on that rules change. Yeah. I mean, that being said, I do think Wizard sometimes makes rules changes that are probably, you know, that I don't agree with, that I sometimes feel uh, is, you know, simplification of the game. But I do not think this rules is a example of that. I think this is a good rules change. Well, great. Great, Jer. I'm glad I got your stamp of approval. Yep, it's it's okay. You can go ahead with it, Wizards. I approve. <laughs> um, all right, awesome. So so now, Sam, let's talk a little bit about kitchen table magic because I think that's probably what our, our listeners may know you from because I know you post on uh, MTG Cast if I'm not mistaken, and we also post our, our show on MTG Cast as well on Monday. So can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, Kitchen Table Magic? Absolutely. Um, Kitchen Table Magic is like this American life, but for the Magic Gathering community. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not a strategy person per se. I don't want to do like some like long form strategy because I just I'm just not as experienced. But one thing that I was really interested in was being able to talk to people in the community. And I started Kitchen Table Magic because I started to feel like a disconnection because I was like trying to grind out tournaments and trying to play in like pre TQs and things like that. And it was just like so grueling. Um, and so once I started to talk to people, I just felt like this in, like incredible joy, like being able to connect with members in the community, ask them questions, and just like produce something. And it really became like this labor of love. And um, that was a year ago, like you know, 50 episodes later, two seasons later, I've interviewed like a ton of people, pros, Mark Rosewater, Richard Garfield, um, all of your favorite content creators, mm-hmm. and we've just like had these great conversations, and like um, you know the the response from the community has been just overwhelming. People love the show, and I'm very grateful that people like to hear me ask questions to people. And it seems like the questions that I have in my head are are the same questions that the community has as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what I really made Kitchen Table Magic. Um, about the community because when I started the show, I like didn't know what to call it. So I went onto Facebook and I polled, you know, Magic the Seattleing, which is a really big group, and also um Magic for Good is another uh, big Facebook group. And I just was like, what would you like to name the show if you could name it? And so people threw around some ideas. I think at one point people wanted to call it Snapcast, you know, podcast or something or like mtg story circle and then and i was like what about just something like kitchen table magic we'll we'll sit down at people's kitchen tables and we'll just talk to them about things and it's casual and it's more like about people's lives not so much about you know so of course strategy still comes up because i ask people it's just like how do you get better right if they're a platinum pro i'd love to know how do you get better <laughs> uh, but uh, it's been great a lot of my guests have shared these incredible stories that you know in some instances even brought tears to my eyes because uh when I met uh, Brian Brown Dewin in uh, GP Portland in 2015, or was it 2000? Yeah, it was 2015 or 2016. I just was like, uh, you know, I'd love to interview you. So he went on to play Worlds. He won Worlds that Sunday, and then on Thursday we recorded, and he was like telling the story about how you know he got started, and he just was like, he just like sleeping on people's couches, and he was just like working like fulfillment at Star City Games, and he was just grinding out all these games, and he was really like 
going through a tough time in his life. And at one point, he was grinding out tournaments with, like, Brad Nelson. And he just, like, carried all of his possessions in, like, a plastic bag because he like, yeah. didn't have a suitcase. And he was, like, going to different tournaments and stuff. And then he, like, got locked out of a car and was like, I'll just put all my stuff underneath the car. And when he came back, all his stuff was gone. Oh, man. And, I, you know, like, he just was like, oh, that was so rough because, you know, he had, like, a tough tournament finish. And I told that uh, story to my wife, and my wife started crying. And I just, and it really got me present to the fact it's like, you know, magic players, like, yeah, we create content, we're out there grinding, we're talking strategy, but behind this game that's like really strategic and really competitive, it's like, these are real people's lives. And I was like, really kind of shaken up at that point because I was like, wow, you know, BBD went from grinding, crashing on people's couches to world champion mm -hmm. in like four years. Yeah. Right? And it's just like insane. Like stories like that. Like I, I recently interviewed uh, Donald Smith, Platinum Pro. He's computing in Worlds in just a couple, like a month or so. And, mm -hmm. and again, he like started off in Louisiana, you know, grinding out at his local game store. His like first set was like Theros, and I was like, what? Like you started playing in Theros, and now you're a Platinum Pro, and you're like going to Worlds. I was like, jeez, uh... oh god. <laughs> it's, this is like this is why I can't like pick up the Forbes 25 under 25 anymore because it's just like. <laughs> My life is a failure. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, if Magic Players was like by longevity, like we would be in like the Hall of Fame twice over by now. <laughs> um, and you've had some really like just stellar guests in there, so I encourage anyone who's listening to this and considers like listening to a, an interview style podcast like this to go back through your back catalog because you have some awesome guests in there that I've actually personally gone back and listened to and really found a lot of enjoyment with them. So. Um, you can find it on on EdgeGCast, correct? Is there anywhere else you post your your podcast currently? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the website is kitchentablemagic.org, so mm -hmm. .org. Um, it's got all all three seasons on there. We're get, just doing season three right now. Um, we have uh, it's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and it's now also going to be included on uh, Hipsters of the Coast. So oh, the awesome. first. Uh, Few episodes of season three is now on Hipsters, which is super awesome. Um, it's on MTG Cast. Um, you know, I tweet a lot, so on Twitter is KTM Podcast, and uh, on Facebook is Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. And I, you know, I, it's very easy to find. And uh, but yeah, there's a lot of um, back episodes of of people that I'm very like pleased to have on the show, like Wedge from the Manasaurus and mm -hmm. Christine Sprankle and Jerry Thompson and Cedric Phillips and uh, just like. Uh, Richard, Just, Richard Garfield. Like, was, <laughs> Richard mean, Garfield, yeah. yeah. Mark Rosewater, Kenji Egashira. Um, you know, I, I did a commentary season uh, series with uh, Marshall Sutcliffe, Rich Hagen, Brian David Marshall, as well as Randy Bueller. Yep. And so that was a really cool series of four, and uh, yeah. Quick, I have a quick question for you, because I'm not actually on your website right now, which is also slick and looks really good. But I, I have a quick question for you. You're, I see you sitting with Richard Garfield. You got a nice... Uh, you got some nice recording setups here. It looks like you're in a library for monks. Is this in his actual house, like with all these books, these, these leather-bound <laughs> no. books and rich mahogany no, behind you? No, no, it's not everyone. So yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So um, Card Kingdom has retail stores, and they're called Mox Boarding House. There's one in Seattle. There's also one in Bellevue, Washington, where I live. And um, in the restaurant, it's like this gorgeous tournament area and retail store, and they also have a cafe. Mm -hmm. And so there's three private rooms at Mox Boarding House in Bellevue. There's the library where we were recording, the apothecary, and also the speakeasy. So there's like these amazing private gaming rooms, and it's like fully decked out art deco with like – 
you know, floor-to-ceiling interior design. It's like makes for a really immersive gaming experience that you can rent out, and they were incredibly kind to allow us to have a quiet place to record. So we like showed up super early, set up, and we did a recording there. Oh, that's super cool. That, that is actually on. So I have like a magic bucket list, and getting to visit um, the West Coast and go to Mox Morning House is is on my bucket list because I've heard just amazing things about that store, and I want to just go to the Seattle area and stay there for like a week and get a chance to play in a few a few events there and just check out the store in general because I've heard from, like really great things about it. It's oh, okay. yeah, for sure. I'll call up your wife, Pat. I'll explain the situation. We'll have a we'll just have a couple's weekend, just you and me. Perfect. Just you and me. We'll go to the West Coast. Jerry and Pat are the odd couple. I like it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> my friend Brian Anderson recently uh, did a pilgrimage. I mean, he read uh, Titus Chalk's uh, book, uh, Generation Dex, mm-hmm. oh, and he also. Yeah, it's a yeah, and then he's also like a, a Patreon supporter and a really close friend, and he was just like, "I'm coming out to the West Coast." So he he he's from Utah. He's one of the partners at Paragon City Games, who sponsors Kitchen Table Magic, and he he came out and like we hung out at Mox and went to Cartoon and did some drafts, and we went up to Geek Fortress and like hung out with TJ and just like did all this cool stuff. Um, and yeah, Mox is a really like special place. I mean, both the Seattle Mox as well as the Bellevue Mox, like the interior design is amazing, and like when you go into the restaurant and you look up, you just see these like beautiful chandeliers, but what you don't realize is that they're clear D20s. And they <laughs> drilled like a thousand pounds of these and then they strung up and they made their own custom lights. Oh, and so it's cool. just like mind-blowing. And they have also... Um, in the magic area, they have like full art unhinged lands that they've like punched holes in and made a landelier, get it like chandelier, <laughs> landelier. It's just like an, it's like amazing. That's super cool. It sounds like a store that's like was made by gamers for gamers because like you see a lot of these stores now. Like I mean, some of the local stores to me um, are like the gaming part is is sort of secondary and it's not well kept and it's not super clean and. There's no there's no decoration there's no sense of style to it I, like one of them is literally in the basement of a card store and it's not if you I'm not gonna mention the name of the store because I don't want to disparage it because it actually is a fine store but playing there is not a great experience and there's only there's only I can really th- only think of one local store to us that's that has an excellent play experience um, but it's it's so cool to see a place that takes so much pride uh, in their in their atmosphere for their players it's just really well, great. I think a lot of that's also a holdover, especially on the East Coast, from all of these shops that were comic book stores in the like late 80s, early 90s, and then the comic book industry kind of went belly up for a bit. So all these stores had to look towards a different revenue model. Yeah. And so they started off as one store and then switched into another store. Mm-hmm. And now we're actually seeing like actual gaming stores that are being opened in the prime of magic and are being tailor made, yes. you know, to magic. Yes, I have um, 100%. You're, I think you're nailing the head with that one, Jerry, for sure. Yeah. Cause like, oh, I, I would say there's definitely more than just one in our area. Like, uh, uh cause I mean, I don't, I don't want to name names to hurt any feelings, but, uh, you know, uh, one, I think as an example of just a new store that has opened up, you know, this year, uh, with scholars and you can definitely tell scholars is a gaming store for gamers mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. You know, I, they haven't, definitely I haven't been there. So first. I couldn't, I couldn't test that, but no, yeah, that, yeah, sorry. I don't want to interrupt mm-hmm. continue. <laughs> I, I will actually say so. So I moved into my new apartment, and I'm, I'm like exploring the area, and I realize, oh, there's a hobby shop literally a block from my house. <laughs> like, if there wasn't these trees, I could probably see it from my house. I'm like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to go check this out, and I go up to it, and I see they have like a big like magic poster in the window. I'm like, oh, this is a good sign. And I go into the store, 
and I start walking around, and it's like they have all these like it's one of these stores where it's like they have all these like old school '80s toys, and they're like behind glass cases, <laughs> and they have like everything and anything you could watch. Like, oh, I'm feeling really good. This store's cool. They had old like Kenner Star Wars toys from like the late '70s, and I'm going and like I walk in, and then in the back of uh, this really big store, in the back is just a single table. And I'm like, okay. And I go to the cashier. I'm like, so do you guys do like legacy or, and she just kind of like gives me an odd look. I'm like, you know, for magic. And she's like, oh yeah, we have magic stuff. And I'm like, oh, what do you have? And I look and they have a single booster box of Amonkhet. (laughs) 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 And I'm like, oh, do you guys have like a single selection? She's like, yeah. And she takes out a binder and it literally is just a binder that just says like $1 rares. Oh man. you guys, you guys got anything else? <laughs> and they're like, ah, uh, no, not really. I'm like, ah, uh, I guess it was too good to be true. Jerry, if you're smart, oh, you can take a page out of our friend uh, Zemet's uh, like book and like be their their car dealer in the store, and they just get a cut of what you have in the case. I think you should bring that up to them. I mean, there's probably not enough of a scene there to sell singles, but I'm just saying, if you want to really kind of spread your wings there. I mean, it's it's in the heart of Cambridge, so oh, not Cambridge. It's it's definitely in a very populated area, but I just don't have the time for that. <laughs> yeah, that's I, fair. I got I got I got a regular job. I don't need to take on like a third job. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, so Sam, so back to Kitchen Table Magic. Tell me a little bit about like sort of your recording process. Maybe not like the technical part, but you know, do you go to people's houses or do they come to you? And also, like, how do you set up your guests? Like, how do you find your guests? Who are the people that you're most interested in talking to? I will absolutely talk your ear off about technical stuff, but uh, but yeah, I mean that's incredibly boring and challenging. But uh, the fun part of it really is getting down to be able to uh, sit down and speak with guests. So I do often go to their kitchen table, and that's whenever I do like the knocking, and I'm like, we're actually here at you're on your kitchen table. Um, and other times I invite people over to my place. Um, we've definitely recorded at my house, at my office after hours where it's nice and quiet. Um, we do a lot of like Skype recording because you know people are all over the world all over the country um you know when i first started off like you know it was like i was just this guy and i was just like i'd be lucky if i get eight episodes off right Mm -hmm. but like looking back i never thought i would have like 50 some episodes so it was really challenging to get people to be on the show and i'm incredibly grateful for my first guest in like season one because they really like had faith in me and like I had to really present myself and this is great advice for any aspiring community member who wants to make content if you're going to go for it like really go big you know my friend Frank Stanley um he you know he used to be like very like into like journalism and I think he even like worked has that and had like a degree in that and so he just he's, like looked me right in the eye and he was just like go for it Sam if you're going to go and do it go for it and so he really encouraged me and a lot of other a lot of people here in the Seattle community really encouraged me and is like, if you're going to do it, uh, get on Twitter and talk to people. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it was just like me shouting it into, into an empty room, like no one really <laughs> heard me. But I was persistent enough and uh, I was just like patient and nice and understanding and I was very clear with what I was asking my guests to do and I was very clear in what like um, my show was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like from day one, I basically was like, Kitchen Table Magic is going to be an interview style podcast. Just like NPR's This American Life, I'm going to ask you questions about your life, and we're going to tie it into why magic is significant for you as a person. And 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 that's and that's what it's been, and um, that's translated really well. And all of my guests have a clear expectation about what they're going to, you know, because they're just strangers; they don't know me, right? Like I'm just some random person that's like, hey, want to talk to me for this thing? And <laughs> um, 
you know, my like my first guest was Travis Wu, and and that was like a year ago, and Travis had just gotten out of like a really controversial time in his life, mm-hmm. and so Travis was like really nervous. Travis was like, yeah, you know, dude, like people don't like me, you know, and like, and I was, and he was even like, is this gonna be your first and last episode? Like, is your like is your entire show gonna get killed because you have me on the show? And I was just like, you know, I'm gonna be honest, like I know you as a brewer, I heard about the controversy, and like I'm also very curious myself about like how that even all went down. So let's talk about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's like episode one, season one. Right. And then I somehow got in touch with like Christine Sprankle and she was just getting started off at that point. And she was mm-hmm. incredibly generous because she was like dealing with like jerks in the community. And she was like, I don't know if I want to talk to this person and what will I talk about? Right. And she was incredibly generous. And, you know, I'm so like happy for all of her success. And now we have a friendship. Right. And then like also like local people in the community that just started off kind of like sort of knowing me like Chris Furter and Jordan Isaka and Mm -hmm. now they know me really well. And also like, you know, like Wedge from the Matasaurus, like I, I emailed him and like waited several months and he's super busy and he was like you know I like podcasts I'm gonna I, I, I'd be happy to be on your podcast and he was a really popular episode and mm-hmm. ever since then it just started to build and I just I had to be really honest like I'm new but here are the people who have confirmed and then mm-hmm. people just started to be like oh wow like Travis who was on your podcast and other pros you'd be like yeah I know Travis I'd be on your podcast and it just kept snowballing from there and then and until uh you know later on like like for example like Marshall's a very busy person it took me like a year and a half to book him, mm-hmm. you know, Brian David Marshall and Rich Hagen, I would tweet them and I would just tweet them and then, you know, be okay with it. Like there are some other people that I still haven't gotten on my podcast that's been highly requested and mm-hmm. they're incredibly busy people and I totally get it. And also, uh, you know, to, in all fairness, they may not want to be on my podcast just because they don't, you know, that's just not their cup of tea and Sam, that's totally I, okay. Sam, I definitely want to be on your podcast. I just got a lot going on in my life right now. You know, you keep <laughs> tweeting at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, two, yeah, two things I wanted to mention. Um, you, you're sponsored by Paragon City, right? And if I'm not mistaken, um, some of the people on our Facebook page, don't they do like a legacy stream every week, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, Paragon City Games has a legacy stream. And I encourage people to watch it because like, it takes a lot of courage to be like, we want to preserve legacy we want to build a legacy scene and we want to broadcast it yeah so i i want i can definitely vouch for that too because i've been able to 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 jump in and check out the stream and it's awesome and one of our listeners is one of the people who helps host the stream and they do a great job so i really recommend checking that out and the other person i wanted to talk about uh, one of your guests that you had was you had sid blair the guy from like the whole like crack gate controversy how did that come up like how did you get in touch with that guy and and you know, how did he like come forward and say he wanted to talk to you about about magic? Oh, I love that you asked that question. So yeah, there's um the obvious guests on my podcast who are like you know pretty obvious to get, and there's some industry people, and there's also kind of like the controversial newsmakers that are like I don't really know if they want to talk to me. And so uh, what I mean when I planned out for season one, I was just like absolutely I need to. You know, I, I'm like very like neutral journalism, but I also want to like kind of get his perspective because he got banned and he was mm-hmm. like pretty upset about it. And he was like, I didn't mean to. And uh, like Brian Kibler and Pat Chapin, like all these people like spoke out about this kind of culture and this kind of attitude. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, at first, like I had to just find out who he was because I just knew him as like the crack gate guy. I didn't know his real name. <laughs> I don't even know where he's from. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I had to like 
scour all these articles and like read all these articles and then I got a name Sid and then Sid Blair I got his last name and then I was just like where else can I find him and where did these pictures come from right so I went on to Imager and then I went on to Twitter and he's just like a super like hilarious happy-go-lucky guy and then he was like you know found him on Twitter got reached out to him especially in the timing of like how um, there was another viral post of like this chick that went to Europe and started doing the hard styling thing with all the butt cracks from marble statues in Europe. <laughs> and that commemorated Sid's unbanning, like return to the, from the DCI. Yeah. And so I reached out to Sid. Sid thought it was hilarious. It was like, I absolutely love to be on the show. And I was just like, look, I, I, you know, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to like slander you. And I want to be very clear. Like I'm not upset at you, but a lot of people were hurt by what you did. So let's just talk about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was great. You know, he's, he's like a rapper, like he right, makes yeah. music, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a really really nice guy. He has a really big heart. He lives life in a very like just like like going out there and having fun and discovering and like spending time with his friends and he's like very expressive and he's also very introspective too. Mm -hmm. He's very thoughtful and he's a writer, um very much about poetry and spoken word and and his music. And um, so I think that you know what he was doing he was just kind of joking cuz even what he said was he's like look at me, like I'm I'm one of those guys that's right. like a little overweight and I got a neck beard, but like I really wasn't trying to offend anyone, yeah. but you know still people got really mad so he told he took the banning like a man mm -hmm. and he was gone and, and he was like he came back so but yeah that was a really really interesting interview yeah i love it like, like i said going through your back catalog there's so many interesting guests that you have I, one of my favorite episodes was also the one with eric klug when you talked about uh just counting how he approaches altering cards he's my favorite altruist of all time i mean that guy does just unbelievable work uh and that was oh really, yeah that was a really great episode too um but the other thing i wanted to mention and just i guess it's not really much of a question but just more of a general statement was I think it's so great, and we've had the same kind of luck, Jerry, on this show. Like we've had a lot of guests on, some people who are local, some people who are like who are professional Magic players, um, come on the show and talk legacy with us. Uh, other content creators like you, Sam. I just think it's so cool how collaborative and open to uh, you know talking to people and doing new things the Magic community kind of is in general. Um, I think it's really cool, and I love the fact that your show is able to capitalize on that and, and just kind of like shine a spotlight on some people who might not have the chance to talk for 45 minutes to an hour about about something that's not like you said competitive magic something that's more about them as a person or what you know what brings them to magic things like that yeah absolutely and i you know i also am very grateful that the magic community uh wants to share about their lives mm -hmm. right you know i i when i when i started kitchen table magic i didn't think that it was going to be um like an interview show that was like here's the here's the spotlight here's the soapbox you know say whatever you want to say mm -hmm. um, it it became much more endearing much more heartfelt than that right like BBD sharing about a tough time in his life you know like Christine Sprankle sharing about a tough time in her life same with Travis Wu um, Damon Morris one of the co-founders of Card Kingdom and Mox Boarding House talking about how it started off as a tiny little card store and then it grew into this amazing thing that people love and like the interior design and like how much work he had to put into drilling those dice you know things like that and like every person has like a story like even like like you were mentioning eric like i was just like eric like your art is stunning and he's like thank you so much and you'd still be surprised how many people send him angry messages because they think that that he's defacing history oh. like he alters power and people who are like purists are like why on earth are you painting over power? Mm. <laughs> you know, and like he still has, he still receives that kind of a challenge. And yeah. it's really fascinating to hear from these people, like what that dichotomy is. Like we see them and we're really inspired by their art and their lives. 
and but they also received those same kind of challenges and um and also on the other side like Sid Blair like a lot of people got really angry at him and just like kind of pigeonholed him into like this jerk bully guy but really i was like wow you have such a big heart and you're so generous and you're so you're such a softy you know it's like yeah. th- like that also happened yeah. and then like also uh in season one uh richard wheatley that uh he's a visually impaired magic player from the uk and he's blind and he plays magic and he has those brailled sleeves and uh he made day two at gp manchester <laughs> so he was like drafting and like <laughs> john sasso the president of cfb was like running back and forth to be the one to like you know because he had to like step away from the draft pool so mm-hmm. i just like like those kind of experiences with like the community like i'm so grateful that people would come out to share moments like that you know i'm just like so surprised super super cool um, can you tell us any like great stories you have from the cast? I know you said you have a lot of a lot of blooper stories or anything that kind of sticks out in your mind that you thought you might want to share with the uh, with the listeners. Oh, absolutely! I have a lot of really <laughs> hilarious stories. Um, so like the first thing is to really think about is like magic players are people, right? And people are funny and people are interesting. Um, so you know, definitely like really listen to me from the standpoint. I'm not like making fun of anybody, but just like this is all just really funny stuff. So one of the most common things that I think is really funny is that whenever I listen to an episode or like when I edit one, I go through every millisecond of that raw tape. Mm-hmm. So. Every single one of my guests has their own speech pattern. So everyone will speak in a certain way. Everyone will breathe in a certain way. Everyone will stutter in a certain way. And it's my job to really make them sound like amazing rock stars. So you, when you hear a finished product, a lot of work. So a, about like four hours per every one hour of editing. So it's like 4x the time. Yeah. Um, so I had one guest, and I won't name names, but that one guest would stop and speak and pause every other word because they really wanted to emphasize things <laughs> and I, I was like oh my gosh how do i edit this <laughs> and so i just had to like you know edit it down and like it make their speech much more smooth and then i also had another guest who uh like th- just the way they spoke they had like a particular like tone in their like waveform and this is a little technical so i had to like edit the eq of the of the frequencies of their of their speech Mm -hmm. so that it would not like blow out your ears every single time they said certain words so there's like technical speech things and there's also really funny things of like bloopers that are just like um you know like someone says something but like the recording didn't pick up well so it sounded like they called someone fat and i just was like oh no like how do i you know, manipulate the sentence so it it doesn't sound like they just called someone fat when they were saying the word factual or fact. And I was just like, oh, what do I do, right? And like all those kind of funny things that just make me laugh. Um, and then also trying to book a guest, like, um, so I will. So I will be very honest with this. That sometimes I have to get into kind of like journalist stalker mode mm-hmm. when I have to get a guest. So I want to publicly apologize to Reed Duke, and I've told this story several times to people that I've met in person. So um, you know, after Enter the Battlefield, um, I interviewed Nathan Holt, and and Nathan was an incredibly you know generous person to you know take some time out of his busy schedule to talk to me about that. And I was just so inspired by the movie, right? Like Reed and Owen and Huey and their lives. And so I wanted to get in touch with Reed. And so I tried to reach out to Reed and, and I'm not going to say how I did it because I don't want Reed to get bothered. But somehow I got Reed's cell phone number. And so I called Reed and I was like, oh no, no way. Reed is not going to pick up, right? This is I'm just like some random number. But he picked up and it was in this 
classic Reed Duke. You know, he's you know he's kind of like the surfer turtle from like Finding Nemo. He was like, "Hello," <laughs> <laughs> and I just was like, "Hi, Reed. Uh, like, my name is Sam Tang, and I have a podcast. And blah blah blah. And, like season one, <laughs> and, you know." And he's like, you know, he's a very focused individual. So he listened to me mm-hmm. and I did my pitch. And I was like, so read like season one, we're going to have all these people. It's a, you know, interview style. Would you like to be a guest on season one? And he paused from what I felt like was an eternity. <laughs> and he just goes, no, I would not, I would not like to be on your show. <laughs> he just was like, no, <laughs> just straight no. <laughs> and I was just like, I respect that I, I I get it I hear you like you you must have the biggest set of balls of any man that I've ever heard because just like calling someone out of the blue like that to be on a podcast especially when you're like just starting is like man that takes some cojones man my my tip my hat to you sir. <laughs> well, you know, and like I, I, I was like a little nervous. I was a little shaky, and I just like I had to practice and like breathe into a mirror a couple of times before I dialed his number. But the hilarious part of it was that he listened to me. Yeah. He didn't just was like you know whatever, man. He listened and he fully processed my request. Mm-hmm. And I think that he really considered it because he paused and he was probably was just like, well, I I have to prepare. I have playtesting. These are my commitments. And you know, at that time he was gearing up to do more coverage. And so I really think he took that moment to think about it. So when he made his request and he said no, I think he he responded in a really like clear and concise and powerful way that he he didn't feel any regret about it. And because I had such a complete answer from him and you know as funny as the the answer was him just pausing and just going no right uh as 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 complete as of an answer that i got i felt very settled so i respected that i never bothered him ever again and i think i waited until season two to call him again and this time he did not pick up so i left the voicemail (laughs) and that voicemail was so funny because i was so polite i was like hi reed this is sam again like we spoke like a year ago and like this is what this you know i'd love to have you on season two like you know i i I appreciate your time i I also want to let you know i respect your privacy i'm not going to be like calling your cell phone every other week like blah 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 Mm -hmm. but you know um you know still very much respecting respecting his space because i understand you know how you know how what, what he has in his schedule Mm-hmm. You know, not like hounding him at every GPIC, but right. uh, but yeah, like you know, uh, that's very funny. That, you is, know? Great. Like, that is great. Yeah, <laughs> that's very funny as well. Um, and then also like me, you know, reaching out to some other prominent members, um, just not getting requests, like like not getting yeses. Um, so I do this thing on Twitter when I I kind of I I kind of have to stalk people on Twitter if I really want to get them on the show. And so I like I find when they tweet, mm-hmm. and then I respond to one of their tweets, and then like. Boom, right back, right? Like community engagement. They're like, yeah, isn't that funny or blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm like on it, right? So 30 seconds later, I'm like, hey, would you like to be a guest on the show? And then they don't respond at all. <laughs> like, I know you're there. And then they like, they, they like, don't want to say no. <laughs> it just like goes to me. But I'm just like, it's okay. Like, you know, like, it's totally okay if you ghost me. I'm not, I don't get salty about it. Like, I really, like, love those people as, like, what they do for the community and how they inspire other people. And also, like, the hard work that they put into their content. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, I get it. You know, like, I get it. It's not a good time for them, especially because, like, some of them work for Wizards. Some of them do coverage for Wizards. Others are just, like, so incredibly busy that there's just, like, no way they could just, like, say yes to every request, right? Uh, but uh, I, I, like, I don't let that get me down. And I just – but I also am very grateful that they are putting in the time to, like, respond to people and engage on Twitter. So, like, 
that's also another funny thing that I always laugh at because like I'm like I gotcha I gotcha you responded to my meme but you ghosted me on the podcast interview request which is hilarious I love it so if you want to see Sam get shut down by some people you can follow him at, at KTM podcast on Twitter <laughs> and he fearlessly <laughs> asks people to be on the podcast I love it oh I do it all the time and like and like my my fans and my followers they'll favorite those requests so whenever I ask like I ask like Saffron Olive like every other week and like and like like five people will like favorite it I'm just like come on like people <laughs> or like um Rudy from Alpha Investments you know like I will go onto his YouTube channel and I will comment because at the end of every single one of his video, he ducks down really fast. Mm-hmm. And so I've just been like kind of snarky. I was like, will you just hit your head on the table on the way down? <laughs> <laughs> like, like smash your head on the table. And he like won't respond. And so I'll bug him on Twitter again. I'll be like, when will you hit your head on the way down on those videos? <laughs> and oh, by the way, would you like to be a guest? And he's like, he's like oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love yeah. That. Um, okay, well, in something that we kind of got a chance to touch on at Hascon, and something I was really interested in was your new YouTube channel that you've started up called Play MTG. Can you tell us a little bit about the channel and sort of what the what the uh, I guess you would call it like a, a mission statement is for that, or what your kind of concept is for that channel? Play MTG really is to encourage people, especially a broad audience, to consider playing Magic: The Gathering as a hobby. Right? We have. Um, gaming channels who like if they're going to do a speed run of dark souls it makes people want to play dark souls or if they people having like a highlight reel of like call of duty or like overwatch like people want to play right and you know i've spoken to a lot of other content creators i don't think the magic community needs another like blurry pack opening from like walmart like i that's not what i want to do right and also like i said before like i'm not particularly like a grinder anymore and like it's tough for me to do strategy especially with my day job and all the other content that i produce but i would like to create content that is a digestible fast-paced easy and also like on the standards of like what like youtube really is and what like the new media standards are i'd like to encourage people especially from that broad audience to play magic the gathering and it has to be palatable right like i want to make content that isn't like just going to be like like dry heaving and eye rolling for the magic community. I, I'm not going to be like, so this is what vigilance is. I, <laughs> you know, I don't want to do that. I, I would like to make content that's still like great and fun, but most importantly, to get people who are kind of on the fence about magic gathering or new to it to deepen their relationship with the community, right? I want people who've never played to play magic. I want people that play casually to get to the, to the point where they like, I'm going to get into a deck and I'm going to go to FNM. And I'm going to go to pre-releases. Like, and I also want to create content for people that's like casual and like a mid-level player. It's like, what is the level of advice, right? Because mm-hmm. I got some coaching from like Adam Yurchek and Ben Friedman and Travis Wu. And I, in like a very short period of time, I, I went from like consistently going like 1-3 at an FNM to going like 4-0 out an FNM. And then like, you know, making like like top eight, like pre-TQs and like getting like top, like going to the finals of a last chance qualifier for like GP Portland. Like my magic skill has increased significantly just from coaching and like very actionable advice. And so I'd really like to create content that like delivers that message. Nice. And I saw your first, your first video uh, was MTG Arena and Iconic Masters at Hascon. I saw you shot, you shot a bunch of stuff at, uh, at, at Hascon. I thought you were actually working for Wizards when we were there. Because you had like your little tripod going in the play on the uh, MTG Arena area, um, what has it been like for you going from editing podcasts and creating audio content 
to creating video content? Because I imagine that's got to be a, quite a daunting task. It is. It started off pretty scary. Like, I just had to, like, jump off the cliff and, like, just dive right in and do it, right? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I said to myself, if, like, if I want to make a YouTube channel and I want to start making content in that medium – at some point, I'm going to have to start, right? So, you know, Trick Jarrett was incredibly generous to invite me to Hascon and, you know, give me, like, a media pass to, to be, for me to experience all the different events and also interview Elaine Chase and, like, be there because we were, like, all in the MTG Arena play area together. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, look, I'm going to make take advantage of this and, like, make full use of this, and I'm just going to run around like a madman, take as much footage as I can, and I'm going to piece together some something of a vlog. And it's really going to, like, launch me into that, which is a little bit more of, like, self-commentary and here's what's so and what's going on. And the future content of the channel is really going to be, like, you know, me being much more scripted and much more directed at the camera. So it isn't going to be as much vlogs. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it was very challenging because at first, you know, I didn't know. I don't know how to edit video. <laughs> I don't know how to do motion graphics. I don't, like, know how to do any of that stuff. And also when you, like, make a video, it's not just editing. It's also the production and the filming process. Like, yeah. how do you hold a camera to film something? Yeah. Like, what's the rule of thirds? And there's all these different, like, uh, soft skills that you have to learn. And I've been you know, production designer for my company in terms of, like, graphic design. So I'm very uh, good with, like, Illustrator and Photoshop. And then so when I learned how to do the podcast, I had to learn, like, Adobe Audition, like, production-level sound Mm -hmm. design and stuff like that and engineering. And then so now going into film, just like, well, it's not that hard because I already kind of know all this (laughs) stuff. But, like, it's still a challenge because, like, I look down, like, what are the hotkeys again? Like, what does this (laughs) stuff do? And a lot of Googling and, like, watching YouTube tutorials, but oh, it's yeah. very exciting. It's very fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I did a few videos. We had a, a short stint of a Leaving Legacy uh, Facebook page when I had my old machine, and I, I couldn't – I didn't have the bandwidth to stream, so I thought maybe making videos would be a good way to, to get, like, MTG stuff onto YouTube. And I, so I did a few videos that way, and was and just – I ended up just buying a new machine so I could stream because creating video content, even, with, even if it was just, like um, – like a, a title page, the video, and then a title page was like excruciating to get all that to get all that done. <laughs> for, someone, for like me, who I, I have no um, editing background in that whatsoever. So again, I was like, it was the exact same thing. It was a lot of YouTube tutorials and googling how to do stuff. And I I, I send you I send a lot of props your way, man. So you said it took you about four hours for every hour of audio. So you have a 16 minute, it's almost 17 minute video on YouTube. How long did that take you to edit down? Oh, that was insane. It took me 27 hours to edit that down. And um, throughout Hascon, I filmed basically nonstop. Like, Mm -hmm. everyone who was there just saw this guy running around. Like, I planned for it. Like, I bought my, like, Wooberg t-shirt from Card Kingdom, and I, like, bought two of them so I could have, like, one for each day to make sure I was, like, in wardrobe, and I was, like, (laughs) running around and filming and I had my tripod I took 593 clips and I like I had extra batteries and extra memory cards and I had to download all that sort it all and that workflow process is what took me the longest like Mm -hmm. I didn't even have a workflow so it's just like how do you label your clips and how do you even use premiere in like (laughs) adobe premiere to do all that and then to edit it down in a cohesive way to tell a story um i mean it it took a it took me a lot of work um to do that so i i mean huge props to people who do make videos like wedge professor and like jimmy and josh of like the command zone with game nights like it's really a significant amount of work like i've talked to marshall about you know because he he does his vlog and he's just like 
it's a lot of work, especially it, with graphics and stuff. Oh my gosh, yeah. I, 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 I will say that I think I mentioned Game Nights in the last episode of this podcast just because I am starting to get into Commander and I was looking for something to watch people play Commander and little, learn a little bit about the format. And that is so such just a great quality content. It's just so well produced. Um, the stuff that they make over the command zone, and I highly recommend Game Nights if people haven't checked it out yet. But yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. And and, and for what it's worth, uh, Sam, your video is great. Uh, I loved your MTG Arena um, and your Hascon Iconic Masters video. I thought you did a really awesome job, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, I was very grateful because all of the uh, community members that were there were like engaged. Like a lot of people talked to me, and we had a lot of funny moments. And I just stuck a camera in everyone else's face and was <laughs> like, "Hey, like anybody want to be on this vlog?" And I had to channel Kitchen Table Magic season one like level like <laughs> enrollment into it because I was just like, "Okay, if if I could get like shot down by Reed Duke, I can get these people to show me what they opened <laughs> from their booster packs." Like. You know, it was like really funny stuff. Uh, but yeah, everyone was so kind and so generous just to just to be on the vlog. It was great. So when you came over, I actually thought you worked for Wizards because you looked you looked so professional. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh, I'm doing this arena demo, and then you came over and you're uh, you're with the camera. I'm like, oh, you must be with Wizards. So <laughs> you definitely you pull it off. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's that's really a compliment. I I do really want to like uh you know be very professional and be very like open about what I do. Um I, I think as a content creator to be professional and to create high quality content also requires a lot of like professionalism in the back end of just like how you communicate and like making sure you're organized and like clear communication, like all that kind of stuff. So um, a lot of people asked me that weekend if I worked for Wizards. I was just like, nope, I don't. And I'm I'm very grateful to be like lumped into that uh, category because that just means that the that the community perception of Wizards is that Wizards is also really professional. And that's that's really nice to hear. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, All right. Well, awesome. Uh, I did have a couple more questions for you before we got out of here, um, just to sort of put a nice little bow on uh, on our kind of chat what do you find are like some of the most rewarding or best parts of of creating content i really think that it's about creating something that you can put your name on right like so for me when i make an episode i i say my name in the beginning middle and end Mm -hmm. and i put my name on it and it lives on the internet in perpetuity so do i want to create something that's like kind of half-assed or oh i I didn't really like how that sounded or you know am i going to create content that's going to make people angry or frown or am i going to make content for people to be really inspired by and enjoy the game and have a connection with my guest and that's really what i'm proud of is to make sure that whatever i create that i'm that i'm putting a smile on people's face and i also think that's really important to me like personally as a philosophy and a lot of other content creators i've talked to it's like people really take that as a like a point of pride like Mm -hmm. they take that not as an extension of their identity, but also it's just like I'm very proud to create this and contribute to the community that I belong in. I love that. And can you tell me about just sort of the what's the what's the toughest part of creating content? Like, what do you find is the, you struggle with the most? I think it's um if I want to do something and I don't know how to do it, right? Like, so for mm-hmm. example, like Josh Lee Kwai has you know industry experience, like technical industry experience in Hollywood, you know, like editing trailers for like the marquee movies like Star Wars and Disney, like really knowing his stuff in terms of editing and graphics. So for me to get to that level, <laughs> it would probably take me 10 years. And yeah. so I can't just say, oh, tomorrow I'm going to create, you know, game nights, but for modern, like mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. Or, hey, I would like to animate 
all of the card interactions and do some animated version of like moto footage. It's like, I just can't do that, mm-hmm. right? I would like to. And would that be really great for the community? Yeah. Would it get more people to play? Yeah. But can I do it? Probably not. Or I can. It just would take me a little while. And so that's really what's challenging for me is like wanting to do something and then not being able to when I have this huge like motivation and like eagerness to create something for the community. I love that. Uh, Jerry, was there anything else you wanted to ask before we got into scoops here? Uh, we kind of blew past it, but I was just kind of wondering what's the legacy scene like out on the West Coast? I know you get to play a little bit, but um, do you do you have any exposure to that? Oh, yeah. The legacy scene here in Seattle is insane. I really do, you know, credit, uh, you know, Card Kingdom because they've taken a lead, you know, about creating a series called the Legacy Preservation Series. Um, and so they will hold these tournaments with really big prize payouts. I think it's like one case, you know, and then they get a lot of people to show up and like just to play Legacy. And like every Monday night at Car Kingdom, Mox Boarding House in Seattle, they stream Legacy and they play Legacy and there's a dedicated group of people. And then on Thursday nights, um, they do uh, Legacy and Modern in Mox Boarding House in Bellevue. And then they stream Modern, but there's still like a huge amount of like Legacy players. And like the caliber of player in Seattle, like skill levels are very high. Mm. And so like when, when I started playing like Magic in Seattle, like, oh, like, my ass handed to me constantly. <laughs> and then a lot of the players who are like drafting competitively or like playing standard competitively, like that's just kind of like their side gig. What they really do is they play modern or legacy and legacy. Like it's, it's very strong out here. So I'm, I'm incredible. I'm very impressed by like the, like the amount of knowledge that they have and also their dedication to play and compete. That is great. It's good to hear that legacy is alive on on the West coast. Yeah, and you'd be also really surprised, like, the vintage scene here is also kind of strong, too. You know, like, Brian <laughs> Weissman and, and Daniel Chang of Vintage Magic, like, they play some crazy, like, vintage 1993-1994 Magic. <laughs> like, the value of cards on the table is, like, like the worth of a Lamborghini or something yeah, like put, that. It's, <laughs> it's insane. Jerry's... Uh... FBB duels to shame. <laughs> I'm just I'm just a scrub. Sorry yeah. guys, I'll see myself out. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, um, you know we don't do um, we don't do shoutouts on here. I know a lot of shows do shoutouts at the end of the episodes. We do scoops in the top eight. So Sam, is there anyone who wants to scoop in the top eight this week? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, let me think here. So wait, so on of a side, I know I'm interrupting the flow of the podcast. No, but no. What, what what would you like me to what would you like me to say? How should I? Well, what should no, I so what should I scoop? No, these are, these are basically like if if there's someone in your community that you want to scoop in the top eight, it's basically like giving someone a shout out and saying like, oh, you know, I want to scoop like say Jerry, you know, Jerry top eight's like a local event. I want to scoop Jerry in the top eight this week, or like you know, say uh, I don't know, say I, like for instance, uh, when we went to Hascon. I scooped, uh, let's say I scoop you and the professor into the top eight just because I really appreciate getting the chance to hang out with you and talk with you guys and meeting friendly, friendly Magic the Gathering uh, faces and content creators, things like that. It's really just, it's really just a, a, a chance to show appreciation to others in our community. That's that's really what it's, what's the idea is. Oh, got it, got it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, so. Absolutely. There's like three groups of people that I want to scoop into the top eight. So first is like Frank Stanley, because he is the tournament organizer at like Mox Boarding House in Bellevue. And the, the amount of people that comes to his events are like massive, you know, and whenever like Ixalan pre-release just happened and he had to do like five pre-releases in a row. And normally when he does his pre-releases, when he's like done, he literally like collapses, <laughs> like face plants into the floor because he's like so exhausted. Right. 
But just like Frank's like level of like dedication and energy that he brings to these pre-release events, like not just for like Card Kingdom and Mox Boarding House, but also for like he knows how many kids are going to show up, how many new Magic players that like saw like Wizards Ixalan advertising is like this is going to be their first introduction to the game. Mm-hmm. Like he is on, he is on, the staff is on, and so like. Just like that level of dedication to be like, it's this is not about me. This is not about the the veterans that are here. This is not about Mox Boarding House. This is not about Wizards. This is about the entire Magic the Gathering community. Mm-hmm. Like that blows my mind. And he like he like takes it personally if someone doesn't have a good time. <laughs> you know? He he's like he's like high energy for like seventy two hours. <laughs> like he does the midnight. It's like insane, right? Yeah. And so and so like I really wanna like like just scoop him because like he is just incredible, like his heart, his generosity, and just like the the exemplary individual that he is as a judge and a tournament organizer to like put that level of energy out to make sure everyone has a stellar, stellar experience. Like he's not just doing a service to the people in that turn that that room, like the hundred or so people that are doing a pre-release. Like he's benefiting the magic community as a whole because that like six degrees of separation, you can like almost like connect everyone in the world like that energy and that enthusiasm that he has for building community he's going to be able to like you know place a memory in some kid's life that that kid is going to then carry on to another corner of the world that we may not even be able to see today mm-hmm. you know that. so that really great. you know that takes a level of dedication and then like, another person i want to scoop is like trick Jarrett, right mm-hmm. like so like the opportunity for me to be invited to hascon you know like, I don't think Trick gets enough credit, like, for who he is in, like, Wizards and also, like, who he is also as a person in the community. Like, he is an incredibly hardworking, generous soul. Like, I, I like, I, I knew of Trick, and then when I, when I got to meet him, when I got to work with him a little bit, like, I was just, like, blown away by the magnitude of things that he has to do and the magnitude of what he does for the community. Like... You know, we just don't thank Watsi employees enough. We like, you know, yeah. like the community is like, oh yeah, we deserve all the bomb mythics and all the reprints off of the reserve list. But like, the trick really has to manage a significant amount of like work, and like him and his entire team has to like do a lot. I, I was like, I like really didn't realize how much work that he did, like putting together Hascon and like the communications he has to do and like the things he has to do. So I'm just like, I'm just like floored. I'm just like blown away. I'm just a guy with a podcast, you know. Like he does so much more. You know, and like the third person I really want to shout out is uh, Aaron Campbell. You know, Aaron Campbell just signed on as like the community manager for like Card Hoarder, you know, and like Aaron Campbell has been doing a day job for so many years and being so integral in the community with like the podcast, the deck tees and then the girlfriend bracket and magic mics. And then now she's like transitioned into being a content creator and like a job in her life, like in the magic community. And like, um, you know, for as controversial or not controversial as Aaron is or isn't or whatever, like to really see a person dedicate themselves to building magic to like the world and like content and connecting, mm-hmm. like she's all in, you know, yeah. she is all in. And that's like, I'm just like so happy. I'm so proud. Like it brought a tear to my eye the other, the other day when I saw her make the, make the announcement, I was yeah. just like, wow, you know, super. Cool, so I love yeah. that. Yeah, we had her as a guest on last week. Actually, we got a chance to talk to her about. I know, um, yeah, yeah. Being, being with card holder stuff, and she's she's such a gracious person to to work with, and uh, she gives back as much to the, to the community as she's gotten, uh, if not more. So, uh, yeah, I was really excited for her and that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. So those are my scoops for the week. Awesome. How about how about you, Jerry? Who are you scooping in topic this week? I got two groups this week. Uh, first was because this weekend I finally made it out to uh, Gaming Etc. 
out in Acton, so I got to play some actual paper magic for the first time in weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it was it was good seeing everyone there, and I uh, ended up splitting uh, the finals with Rich Shea. So got a sweet fatal push FNM. Those things are sweet. <laughs> I was like, Jerry, I like that. I was well, no, I was expecting like you know how the FNM promos are usually garbage, yeah. like ninety nine percent of the time. So I was expecting some like five mana counter spell that lets me scry two or something like that. And then they hand me like an alternate art foil fatal push. I'm like, oh yes. <laughs> Win. <laughs> So, but I mean, really, I wanted to scoop out everyone there. It was just great getting to see everyone again because I haven't seen people in in a while. So, just always good to get down with the usual crew to play some Legacy. Um, Second is coming up on October 7th. I'm excited for this. uh, Scholars uh, out in uh, Brockton. They're actually doing a Legacy real estate tournament where first place is actually a tabernacle. Oh, that's sweet. Wow. Oh, yeah. And then once they hit 50 players, uh, the rest of top eight gets various dual lands. So it's going to be a sweet tournament. And it's also just a couple weeks before Eternal Weekend. So it's going to be good practice for uh, get get some reps in before the uh, the big the big leagues. Very nice. So, Looks like they're also yeah. doing the Modern Masters drafts later in the day. So if you scrub out, you can hang around and do some either on-demand events or Modern Masters drafts. It's pretty awesome that there's yeah. other things so you'll have people s- like me who go O2 drop. God, you stole the joke out of my mouth. <laughs> Self-deprecation. <laughs> that's, that's what it is, right? If, if I get the laughs, you can't take that power from me. Damn it! Oh, you saw right through me. <laughs> well, I will up the ante because you guys go O2 drop. I will finish it out O and X. I will play. I paid good, hard-earned money to be at this tournament. I will play. I, will, I mean, I will play. I mean, there was like a what, like a legacy GP in like Seattle, like a, like several years ago. I mean, I played like zero and six. Like people, like I got paired up so hard. So there were some people that were like three and three, and like everyone else had dropped. And they're like, "What's your record?" I was like, "Zero and six. I'm gonna. Like, I'm playing legacy burn." And then you like, beat them, and then you beat them. They're like, "You want to scoop yeah. me?" No, no. They told me to play sudden shock. I'm gonna, I'm gonna split second you. <laughs> oh, yeah, Sudden Shock's a great card. I love it. <laughs> but uh yeah, just wanted to get the word out there. October seventh in Brockton Scholars Games. Uh should be an awesome tournament. Uh it's run by very own uh Judge Gill and Kyle. Uh both great guys. So if you are in the area, I highly recommend getting to it because it's gonna be some sweet payout. Yeah, I still haven't made it up to Scholars yet. I'm I'm supposed to work today, but I'm gonna try to get my, my shift either switched or off. So that I can make it up there because I've, like I said, I've heard great things about the store, but I haven't made it to it yet because they run all their stuff on Saturdays, and Saturdays are a tough day for me. Pat, I'd be happy to call your work pretending to be like you, your kid's school principal, saying they like broke their leg on the seesaw. I'm, I'm not, I'm not above if, doing if, that. If for you. my children went to a school where the principal sounded like you, Jerry, I probably, I probably just homeschool them at that point. <laughs> I am told I have dulcet tones. Multiple people have told me this. You are literally the only person who's ever said that you have dulcet tones, Jerry. No, we, there's video evidence. On the stream the other day, people were saying it. Uh, yeah. I think you, Please I think keep... Just, I think you were just, uh, uh, you were just ghosting us, Jerry. It's all my bot accounts. Yeah. I have hundreds of bot accounts to just yeah. pay me, pay me compliments. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, I'm going to – Sam, I'm going to scoop you in the topic this week. I wanted to just appreciate you for, first of all, coming on the show, 
being so gracious with your time and then hanging out with us and telling some great stories. And also just for being such a great pillar in the magic community. Um, I think the, the content you create is awesome. I think I just I love how you shine a spotlight on people and allow them to talk about stuff that maybe isn't it's magic adjacent, but it's not like you know technical magical magic play and things like that. I think that's wonderful. Um, so I wanted to scoop you to top eight and uh, and just say thank you. It was it was awesome to meet you at Hascon, and it just had such great impression from from that. And uh, you're just someone who I really really am excited to see what else you have uh, coming down the pipeline for us. Oh, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. You got yeah, it. And welcome welcome to the hipsters family. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is like a way to also like announce like um you know I I ran into hipsters of the coast at Hescon and then like we talked and like they were like hey we we're thinking about picking up some content now it's just like and I love your point of view I would love to like have the show on on the site and so like yeah season three of Kitchen Table Magic will like start to appear on hipsters of the coast so that's super such an honor you know super cool super cool oh, that's great at like I said, a bigger family. It's wonderful. Um, all right, well, Sam, if someone wants to find you on Twitter or Facebook or if you stream or whatever, uh, can you tell us where they can find you, so they can get a hold of you? Absolutely. Kitchen Table Magic is on Twitter at KTM Podcast. It's also on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. And uh, an easy way to find us is that the show's website is called KitchenTableMagic.org, so .org. Um, you know, and we're on uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Play, Stitcher Radio, uh, MTGCast.com, as well as now Hipsters of the Coast. Awesome. Uh, if you also want to give out your cell phone number so our listeners can call you with their redo impersonations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'll say yes, and then I'll give Reed Duke cell phone. <laughs> I think I just heard Aaron Campbell faint. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I basically just got myself like banned from the DC for doing that. No, like absolutely not. You know what? I'm basically gonna prevent myself from getting hacked. I'm just gonna like delete Reed's number off of my phone. <laughs> Even if anything ever were to happen, no one would ever be able to reach it that. Traced, I mean, it doesn't get traced back. Yeah, like I promise, oh, I wasn't Sam, trying to stalk him. I just was. He changed his number after the second time. Well, probably, yeah, probably. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and you can find Jerry at J M E E three R D. You can find me at Pat Uglo on Twitter. The stream is twitch.tv slash Pat uh, I'll be streaming again this week. Uh, I think Wednesdays and Fridays will be my set stream days from here out. Um, you can find the you can find us on on uh, hipstersofthecoast.com every Friday. You can find the Facebook group. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. You can email the show, leavinglegacy at hipstersofthecoast.com and of course you can also support us on Patreon uh, patreon.com slash leavinglegacy and also find Sam and support his show as well. He's on there as well so support support Sam and his great projects he has going on. And, uh, yes, and Jer- awesome. Yeah, of course. And Jerry, do you have a uh, D20 one roll for us, buddy? We'll get this song and get out of here. Oh yeah. Are we sure we don't want to just play the DuckTales theme and like sing to it? <laughs> So I found a website that lets you stream all of DuckTales, and I may or may not be, like, halfway through the series. <laughs> Jerry, it, it, uh, the site's called Netflix. Everyone knows about it, but it's not, it's not a Is secret. it on Netflix? Why have I been using low-grade, like, low-grade, <laughs> shitty quality? It's actually on, on Netflix. I'm real sad. DuckTales. Oh, the Mighty Ducks with Emilio Estevez is on. So, I mean, no DuckTales, but I did find another winner. Roll, roll the d20, Jerry. I did. It came up at nine. Nine. Uh, all right. So Michael Ames, he got his number called. Do you remember when he got his number called and uh, he put the wrong stuff in so he couldn't find the album? Uh, so he was requesting. 
So he, he finally got rolled again. He's requesting a DRI, I'd Rather Be Sleeping, from the album Dealing With It. So uh, we'll check that out. We'll throw it in the, uh, the end of the show. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for hanging out with me, man. It was a really a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. <laughs> yeah, this was a lot of fun. Awesome. All right, Pat, play us out with something sweet. Yeah. 